why our prayers are not answered. Two weeks ago tonight, I talked to you about man's greatest power, more powerful than armies, more powerful than weapons, more powerful than atomic bombs, prayer. In Luke 11, verse 1, it came to pass that as he was praying in a certain place when he ceased, one of his disciples said unto him, Lord, teach us to pray, as John also taught his disciples. Lord, teach us to pray. As this morning, I have an outline for you tonight that I believe will be very helpful if you will jot it down so that you will know why prayers are not answered and if things aren't getting through, you can go back and check the list and say, well, maybe I'm erring here. Maybe I'm falling down here. I need to shore up here. The back of the bulletin is designed for you to do that, and I trust you will. And if you're at home watching us by television, just grab a piece of paper and mark it down there. And of course, all of these messages are recorded on tape. And if you're not a writer, you can send for the tape. Why our prayers are not answered. Number one, they are not answered because they are not offered. Now, that is biblical, and I want you to see this very carefully in James chapter 4, verse number 2. James, the brother of our Lord, said very simply, Ye have not, because ye ask not. Now, that simply says to every one of us that God cannot answer prayers that are not offered, prayers that are not prayed. I was interested in reading one account from the life of Henry Ford, who had a friend in the insurance business. One day, Henry Ford bought a million-dollar policy from another insurance agent. Henry's friend, when hearing of it, called on the phone and asked Mr. Ford why he did not buy the policy from him. Mr. Ford said, you didn't ask me. Well, that is exactly what happens between us and God. We have not because we ask not. Let me direct your attention to one of the Psalms of David for a moment. Psalm number 107. It could be broken up into three sections, each of them saying exactly the same thing. In verses 1 through 5 of Psalm 107, the word is trouble. Trouble. In verse 6, then they cried unto the Lord in their trouble, and he delivered them out of their distresses. But notice, the trouble was first. Then they cried unto the Lord, and he delivered them out of their distresses. The second section, verses 17 and 18, the word trouble. Verse 19, then they cried unto the Lord, 
Are you getting the picture? The third section, verses 23 through 27, the word trouble. Verse 28, then they cried unto the Lord. Someone just this day came to me with sparkling countenance and said to me, Pastor, tomorrow we face a court situation, but we face it now differently than before. In fact, she said, we are almost happy that it has happened because out of it we have found God. We know what life is about now, and we know He is with us. When life is running smoothly, the tendency is to forget God. Have you ever read in the paper of miners trapped in mines for days, and finally they're released, and the question is asked, what did you do when you were down there? <laughs> Invariably, they said, we prayed all the time. It's kind of like Jonah, in the words of Scripture, in the belly of hell cried I. Psalm 107 is the picture of too many of us who do not pray until we're in danger, until the trouble is all over us. Then we cry unto the Lord. The point is, God wants us to pray all the time. He wants us to pray before the trouble, and the reminder is simply, you have not because you ask not. Apply it to any area of your life. Your car, it's got eight cylinders but running on four. But I can't afford it. You have not because you ask not. If the motive is right, if the need is there, God is a beneficent, loving, heavenly Father. We are trying to learn at Capital Christian Center that God is interested in every minute detail of our lives. If we pray over our food, why can't we pray over our cars and over our kids and over our jobs and over our wardrobes and over anything that comes to us in life? We have not because we ask not. Secondly, we pray with the wrong motive. James 4, verse 3, it's the next one. Ye ask and receive not, because ye ask amiss, that ye may consume it upon your lusts. Do you know that God looks at the motives behind our prayers? And he knows. Oh, hey, he knows. You cannot fool God. We should ask ourselves, why am I praying for this? What will I do with the answer when it comes? Lord, you know I'm not praying for myself, but please give my mother a son-in-law, the young lady said. <laughs> what is the motive? We ask for good health. 
Will you use that strong body in his service and for his glory? We ask for a better job. Will you witness rightly for the Lord in the new job and stand as salt and light in the world if the prayer is answered? We ask for more money. Will we give God what is rightfully his in obedience to his word? What is the motive behind the prayer? We must never pray for something so that we can consume the answer on ourselves. I would suggest after these many years of dealing with people that number two is a crisis point with a lot of people. You ask, but you ask amiss that you may consume it upon your own lusts. It will not do us good, and God knows it. So he will not answer that prayer because he's more interested in our eternal salvation than giving us something that's going to be harmful to us and will eventually damn us and keep us from eternal life. Let us check the motive in our praying and when our motive is right, God will see to it that the answer is there. Our prayers are not answered because we ask amiss. Raw motive. Thirdly, we pray with the wrong spirit in our hearts. The verse of Scripture for this is Psalm 66, verse 18. It's familiar to us all. If I regard iniquity in my heart, the Lord will not hear me. The wrong spirit in our hearts. Let us go back into the Old Testament again to a story that I referred to in a recent message, Joshua 7. In Joshua 7, Achan took the Babylonish garment. 200 shekels of silver and a wedge of gold. They were not to take anything when they conquered Jericho. In verses 6 through 10 of Joshua 7, Joshua falls prostrate before God, and God says, get up. Now that's remarkable. For we hear many saying, get down before God. Humble yourself before God, and that's good advice. But God said when Joshua did that, get up. And when God says get up, he has a way of know, making you know you're supposed to get up. It's kind of like Moses. Wish I could do it like he does it. When you get to verse 11 in Joshua 7, God is speaking further to this man and said to him, Israel hath sinned. When you read through the 13th verse, you will discover that one man's sin brought judgment upon the entire nation. Why? Because of the wrong spirit. Disobedience. And God could not bless Israel as long as the sin was there, as long as the spirit was wrong. Therefore, we must admit that the whole cause of Christ is injured by sin and by neglect or unspirituality of even one believer. 
one member of a church, one person in this body with the wrong spirit before God can bring hindrance and handicap and judgment upon the entire body. Therefore, we are to walk in the spirit and not fulfill the lust of the flesh. We must have the right spirit when we pray. What did Jesus make known to the Pharisees? He said, you stand on the street corners and pray to be seen of men. But I say unto you, go into your closet. Go into that private place and there make your prayer to God. And when you fast, do not appear as one that has fasted. Wash your face and appear in public. You see, God isn't interested in our public display. God is not concerned about what people think. He's concerned about the spirit of the person praying. And if the spirit is wrong, our prayer cannot be answered. It's a big fat N-O-No. Check the spirit. Fourthly, I'm moving fast because I have seven of these, would you believe? And if I had told you seven at the beginning, you would have gone, oh, Ten minutes per point. Seventy minutes. We are not abiding in Christ and keeping His commandments. Therefore, our prayers cannot be answered. Not abiding in Christ and keeping His commandments. John 15, 7. If ye abide in me and my words abide in you, ye shall ask what ye will, and it shall be done unto you. Have you ever known someone who has received a scholarship if you know anything about scholarships, you will know that if the scholarship is to be valid, the person must abide in the standard of the scholarship to keep it. There are certain requirements. There are certain things that must be done in order for the scholarship to be valid. When those things are broken, the scholarship is broken. So it is with our prayer life and our relationship with God. God does not promise his supply to those who break his commandments and live apart from him. But he gives a blank check to those who will abide in him and have his words abide in them they can ask what they will, and he emphatically says, It shall be done unto you. Glory to God. When I received the scholarship to Bible college, I was so grateful. I was so thankful that I would keep the agreement no matter what because it meant so much to have the help. If I have needs in my life, then I should have the same concern about God and his relationship with me. If I have needs that only God can provide, then with his help 
I'm going to abide in him. I'm going to keep his words because he said if I will do that, I can ask anything and he will do it. And I'm interested in that. So I have to abide and I have to keep. That's all. Isn't it wonderful that God has not given us a list of 20 things? Just two things, abide and keep. Abide in me and keep my words. That's not difficult. Anybody here can do that. Any one of you can link on to that. All you have to do is those two things. Abide in him and keep his word. And he said, I will do it. Whatever you ask, yours. Oh, how our lives would change if we could just settle in on that and accept that and abide by that. Oh, what answers to prayer would be coming to our families and to our individual lives and, yes, even to our nation if we would abide in Christ and keep his commandments and then pray, bombard heaven. He said, I'll do it. You'll abide and keep. Simple, isn't it? Number five. We don't get our prayers answered because we are not earnest enough. We had reference to Moses. Exodus 32 is perhaps one of the greatest examples of this in the Bible. Moses stood before God for Israel and he said, Answer my plea for Israel or blot me out of thy book. Now that's earnestness. If you're not going to forgive Israel, then just forget me, God. Just rub my name right off of the book. I don't care anymore if you're not going to save Israel. Jacob in Genesis 32, 26, when wrestling with the angel of God, I will not let thee go unless you bless me. That's earnestness, and we need to have that spirit when we come before God. John Knox, the great reformer, prayed, Give me Scotland or I die. Jonathan Edwards of Northampton, Massachusetts, for three days and three nights on his face before God without food and without water, prayed over and over again, God, give me New England or I die. And in Northampton, Massachusetts, every person 16 years of age and over was converted to Jesus Christ under the ministry of the great Jonathan Edwards who preached sinners in the hands of an angry God, reading the text from, his, from in front of his face because his eyes were so dim, people hanging on to the pillars of the church thinking they were sinking in the hell because of the earnestness of Jonathan Edwards' prayer, God, give me New England or I die. I quote the verse from James 5 almost every Sunday from this pulpit when we invite people forward for prayer. The effectual fervent prayer of a righteous man availeth much. What kind of a prayer? The effectual fervent prayer. Do you really mean it? Is it in earnest? Is it coming from the very depths of your being? Is it as though if God would not hear the prayer or answer the prayer, you would literally die? It's got to be that way at times if we're going to get through to God. Some of you need to be delivered from alcoholism. 
Some of you need to be delivered from tobacco. You've talked to me about it and you want to be. Some of you need to be delivered from lust and things that plague you from day to day. Here, my friend, is the motto for you. Get down before God and intercede with God. Touch God in earnestness and those things will drop off if you are earnest in your spirit before God. And it will not happen before that. If you're just mamby-pamby, well, if you want to, God, here I am, bless the Lord. It will never happen until you get down to business, bedrock, we call it, with God, and determine in your heart that this is what you want and what will glorify God, and you put God to the test. God is there to give you the victory. But you have to be earnest. Number six. Our prayers are not answered because we do not believe our prayers will be answered. Matthew 21, 22. All things whatsoever ye shall ask in prayer believing, ye shall receive. Now wouldn't it be wonderful if it just read all things whatsoever ye shall ask in prayer ye shall receive, but it doesn't read that way. There's a comma after the word prayer and the word believing, and then another comma. Now, Jesus said this. And when the disciples said, Lord, teach us to pray, I'm not sure that they really understood what the Lord was going to teach them, but here's one of the things he taught them. All things whatsoever ye shall ask in prayer, believing ye shall receive. Now, let me give you a story. I've got it here in print, so I know it's true. Two missionaries who served the Lord in China before the communist takeover of years ago related this story. A little Chinese woman converted from paganism only about six months. Get this now. Six months is all that she had known about the Lord. Came running into the mission station one day to share the urgency of her heart with these missionaries. She said, the doctor has just left my home and has given my daughter only one hour to live. Now you have told me of the Lord's power to hear and answer prayer and I have come to ask you to pray right now for my daughter. The missionaries were impressed by her evident faith that prayer to the Lord could make a difference in the verdict. So they said, little sister, we're going to kneel down here with you for prayer, but we want you to do the praying. You ask the Lord for the needed miracle for your daughter. So as the three of them knelt on the floor, the little Chinese woman poured her soul out to God. And I love this. Here's what she prayed. Lord, the doctor has just left my home and he has given my daughter only one hour to live. Now, Lord, these missionaries have told me of your power to hear and answer prayer, and, Lord, I believe that myself. She then continued, Now, Lord, whatever else you are planning to do just now, please put that off and take care of this first. <laughs> please take care of this first, Jesus, for my daughter has only one hour to live. Now, that makes sense, doesn't it? I mean, time is of essence. They're still on their knees now, and here are these missionaries listening to this prayer. She continues, Lord, here is how you get to my home. 
I'm here at the mission station. You go down that road two blocks until you come to a lane. Then you turn left and walk down the lane until you come to the second house. When you get to the second house, go under the wire fence and walk right up on the back porch. The back door is closed, Lord, but don't bother to knock because my daughter is too sick to get up and answer the door. Just go right on in, Jesus, and heal my daughter now, Lord. Amen. Glory to God. These missionaries said that by the time she concluded that prayer, they were moved to tears. They had attended prayer conferences and read books on prayer, but never had they heard a prayer like that. And that is our problem. That is our problem. We pray in mystic terms and high-sounding symbols. And we really don't believe. If we did, we'd be more simple, more direct. Well, they got up from their knees and were so interested by this time that they said, little sister, we're going to go home with you. We believe Jesus understood every direction you gave him and we're going to see what he's done. So they walked with her the two blocks down the street till they came to a lane. Up the lane they walked to the second house. Under the wire fence they went, and when their feet touched the back porch of the Chinese woman's house, the back door suddenly burst open and out raced the daughter who had been given one hour to live. She embraced her mother and told her that she was suddenly healed. The Lord answered that simple Chinese woman's prayer. Jesus said, Ask, and it shall be given you. Ask, and ye shall receive. If you then, being evil, know how to give good gifts unto your children, how much more shall your heavenly Father give good gifts to them that ask him? All things whatsoever ye shall ask in prayer, what? Believing ye shall receive. Oh, I love the story of the woman in Kansas during the drought. The pastor had announced a prayer meeting for rain at a certain time, and the church was packed, but there was only one umbrella in the church. Only one woman brought an umbrella. She believed. <laughs> Hallelujah! You understand? Without faith it is impossible to please him. Peter walking on the water, when he started to sink, Jesus said, O oh, thou of little faith, why didst thou doubt? Oh, I can see Jesus asking us that question often. Oh, ye of little faith, why did you doubt? Why didn't you trust me? If ye have faith and doubt not, ye shall not only do this which is done to the fig tree, but also if ye shall say unto this mountain, Be thou removed, and be thou cast into the sea, it shall be done. And all things whatsoever ye shall ask in prayer, believing ye shall receive. Matthew 21, 21. Even if it's a mountain, it'll cast itself into the sea. The centurion who came to the Lord said to him, Lord, you don't even have to go to my house. Speak the word and my servant shall be healed. That's faith. How big is your God? If he's bigger than your problem, bigger than your request, in your mind and in your spirit, then I want you to know something magnificent is going to happen. Faith moves the hand of God. And our prayers are often not answered 
because we do not insert the word believing into that verse in Matthew 21. All things whatsoever ye shall ask in prayer, believing ye shall receive. Now there's one more point. We don't have our prayers answered because we are not submissive to God's will. Luke 11, verse 2, is the one after we read at the beginning. Lord teaches to pray, and he said unto them, When ye pray, say, Our Father, which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name, thy kingdom come. What's the next phrase? Tell me. Thy what? Thy will. Oh, it's in your Bible. Thy will. It is not M-Y. Huh? It doesn't read my will. That's what the little boy thought when he went on from Sunday school, having learned the Lord's Prayer, he thought. Hallowed be thy name, thy kingdom come, and my will be done. But it's thy will be done. A young girl wanted her father saved in an evangelistic crusade. And many were being converted to Christ in this series of meetings. The evangelist looked at the little girl sensing something and said, Is God calling you to some special service? She bowed her head and said, Yes, I think to be a missionary, but I'm not going to leave my family and my home and my friends and go to some foreign country. The evangelist said, Lady, as long as you have that attitude, I'm afraid your father won't be saved. Many people came to Christ in that revival, but the father of this girl was unmoved. Can that be? Yes. When we are not willing to have God control our lives, our prayers are hindered. Our prayers are not answered when we want to quote the Lord's Prayer like that little Sunday school boy, my will be done. I am confident, my friends, I am absolutely sure that there are circumstances in families in our church that could be remedied if people would line up with the will of God. I'm absolutely convinced of it. People who are stubborn, people who want their will, their way, they're not going to bend, they're not going to bow, they're not going to change, but yet they want certain things to happen. Whether it be the salvation of children in the family or whatever, it will not happen until we line up with the will of God. And when we do, all of the blockages are removed. It's like unclogging a sink with Drano. It suddenly goes... <sighs> the water goes through because all of the junk has been removed, burned out. So it is when we are willing to do what God wants done rather than what we want. Prayers are answered. Has God given you abilities that are not being used, called you to ministries that you are not fulfilling? Our disobedience hinders our prayers. And we need to start saying daily, Thy will be done. In the Civil War, a well-to-do couple lost their only son. 
They were overwhelmed with sorrow by the loss of this boy and shut themselves in with their grief. One day their doorbell rang, and as they went to the door, a young man stood there. He handed a letter to them and asked them to read it. As they opened the letter, they recognized it was the handwriting of their son. And the father read it with quivering lips. Dear father and mother, the man who brings you this letter was my best friend in the army. He helped me on many occasions. Now in what I believe will be my last hours, he is with me. If he ever comes your way, give him the best you have for your son's sake. You know what they did? They gave him the best they had for their son's sake. Friends, that's the exact picture that I see in all of the Bible. Our Father in heaven is rich. He owns everything. He has everything at his divine control. In the case of the centurion, all he had to do was speak the word, and the servant was healed right then. He didn't even have to be there. He's that powerful. He's that rich. He holds the wealth of the worlds in his hands. He has all we need and is ready and willing to supply our every need. He will give us the best he has for his own son's sake. But we must be willing and we must be ready to get sin out of our life, to stop praying without reason, praying amiss. We must be willing to do it God's way and to line up with God's eternal purpose. We must have the right spirit when we pray. We must pray in faith, believing, and when we apply these simple principles that have been laid down so clearly in the Word of God, things will begin to happen. They'll begin immediately to happen because it's God's desire to answer prayer. It's God's desire to turn things around for us. It's God's desire to bring family and friends into the kingdom. It's God's desire to just turn this church upside down to touch Sacramento for God. It's God's desire to bless your business and bless your interests and bless your family and bless your life. He wants to answer our prayers. But we have to do it according to what he has said not according to our will. Will you take those seven principles right out of the Word of God and begin to apply them in your life and then tell me what happens. Start talking about what God is doing. I have a sneaky hunch that it's going to be a lot like that Chinese woman who had such a simple approach to God that God had no alternative but to rush down there and touch that daughter and make her whole before the hour was up. What is your need? Are you earnest? Is it in God's will? Is your heart right? Are you ready to ask? Let's bow in prayer as we consider it, shall we? Father, Help us to be simple in our approach. Help us not to confound 
the simplicity of your word. Help us to believe. Help us to ask in sincerity, in truth. And may we see your great hand move in our lives, bringing about your desires, your plans, your wishes for us, our families, our friends, our nation, our church, all things that concern us. While our heads are bowed, I want to ask if there be those here on Sunday night who need to pray the prayer of the publican. In Luke chapter 18, the prayer was very simply, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. That was it. He recognized he was a sinner. He recognized he needed a Savior. And he simply asked, God, be merciful to me. If you're not a Christian tonight, God will hear that prayer. Lord, teach us to pray. Here's the first prayer we ought to pray. God, be merciful to me, a sinner. How many of you would raise a hand and say, Pastor, I need to pray that prayer tonight, and I'm going to. Will you join me? Would you raise your hand right now? God, be merciful to me, a sinner. Thank you right here. Thank you right here, sir. Thank you over here. Several in this section. Thank you. Up in the balcony to my left. Thank you. Up to my right. Thank you. God bless you up there. God, be merciful to me, a sinner. How many more? You'd raise your hand with these that have already raised theirs. Thank you. Back here. Thank you. God, be merciful to me, a sinner. This is a moment for you to be saved. Thank you up here in the balcony. Yes, way up there in the back. Thank you back here on the main floor. God bless you. This service has led us to this moment when you can become a child of God. Would you mind standing to your feet now that you've raised your hand and let me pray for you as you stand, indicating your need? I'm not seeking to embarrass you now. Please understand. I just know the value of identifying with Christ in this very positive manner. Just stand. All of you raised your hand. Just get right up on your feet right now. I did this long ago, and the Lord met me and changed my life. 